Welcome to Hemp Barons. I'm Dan Humiston, and on today's show, we have one of my favorite people. Joy Beckerman drops in to talk about her lifelong career in hemp. Joy's had such a colorful life that it was impossible for us to edit the show without cutting out a lot of really good stuff. So we're going to do it in two parts. We'll do part one today, and we'll do part two next Tuesday. I know you're really going to enjoy this show, so let's get it going and join my conversation with Joy Beckerman. Joy, welcome to the show. It's so wonderful to be here, Dan, and to be connected with you again. This is great. Well, for our listeners, I first met Joy back in 2017. And I don't know if you remember this, but we were both at a Christmas party in New York City. And Joy was asked to say a few words about hemp, and I fell in love. (laughs) Seriously. I remember it like it was yesterday, Dan. I remember it like it was yesterday. As soon as you started speaking, I said, I have to meet this woman. I have very seldom heard anyone, not just knowing as much about a product, but being as comfortable with the audience. It was like, we were just, everybody was just sucked in, in this small room to this little lady, just the passion was just oozing out of your butt. And it was like, oh my God, we, I have to meet this person. So for our listeners, you be ready, strap in, lock yourself in, because this is going to be the best show. And thank you right back, brother. It's just my passion, my total passion. <laughs> well, let's jump into it. You've been in the industry for most of your life. So just give us a quick overview of your career. Talk about Hemp Base International. Just give us the whole story. Yay. Well, I was first introduced to hemp in 1990 at the age of 20 years old at a Grateful Dead show. There was a a book that was written by Jack Herer, May He Rest in Peace, and edited by Chris Conrad, an amazing advocate who is still with us, called The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Keep in mind that the United States government didn't just want to remove the hemp plant from our consciousness. They wanted to remove all knowledge of the hemp plant from our consciousness. So in the mid-80s, Jack and Chris got together and said, we have got to be able to prove the United States history here. They knew that there had been a film in 1941 or 42 that the USDA had put out called Hemp for Victory because they needed U.S. farmers to grow a ton of hemp for the war effort, for the Navy effort. They knew that we had this incredibly rich history, but it wasn't in our museums. And they scoured the National Archives in Washington, D.C. and multiple other libraries. And they published all of these documents to prove to us the reality and and called this thing the emperor wears no clothes. It's now probably in its 15th or 16th edition now, but that book really was the start of the cannabis movements in all of its forms. Mm -hmm. And then the information would get distributed through the Grateful Dead tours. This information was spread throughout the United States and the world through these concerts, you know, anywhere from 20,000 people to 60,000 people. And I got a flyer with some excerpts from this book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, at a Foxborough, Massachusetts dead show in the spring of 1990. When I got that flyer, it affected me on a cellular level and truly altered the trajectory of my life. It brought together to me a, a convergence, really, of a sense of planetary healing with a strong sense of justice. Because what this single page flyer told me was hemp can do all these things. 
It can do paper, textiles, building materials, biocomposites, fuel, energy, industrial sealants and coatings. It can do human and animal food, nutrition, body care, general wellness, and now we know nanotechnology. So it said here it can do all of these things. It's a fast-growing carbon sequestering plant. When treated correctly, it can heal and build the soil. And guess what? It's illegal. It's safe. It's helpful. And it's a criminal act in the United States of America to grow. And even as I sit here and say those words to you now, 29 years later, I get chills because it blows my mind, brother. And it blew my mind there and it really affected me and sent my life on a course. That is so cool. The idea or the movement began at festivals, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they got people like you and other people inspired enough to join the movement, to push it. And it finally, like you said, it sends goosebumps that it, we are where we are today. Uh, you know, where we are today, right? And then, so 1990, then I'm following the Grateful Dead for a little while longer. And then 1994 comes along and I open up a store in Woodstock. In fact, the first hemp store in the state of New York. No in, in Wood- Woodstock. Yeah, Woodstock. Heaven. Nice. Yep. Of course, of course, on Tannery Brook Road called Heaven on Earth. We need a whole nother show and we can certainly have one another time for me to tell you about the (laughs) hilarious goings on there and the fact that I got this cease and desist order from the U.S. Secret Service in Albany to stop mutilating U.S. currency because we were stamping. I grew hemp bubbles coming out of George Washington's mouth on every dollar bill that was going in and out. (laughs) And then what happened was because of that cease and desist letter and the tremendous amount of recognition and press coverage that it got, there was a lot of paranoia. And the folks that were supporting the store in the Woodstock community didn't dare to be seen going into the store anymore. At that point, the first inaugural hemp bill passed in Vermont in 1996, and I was appointed to serve as secretary of the Vermont Hemp Council. So I relocated the family to Burlington, Vermont, Mm -hmm. and stayed in that role and helped to run and assist and manage three Vermont Hemporiums, which were hemp stores in Vermont that also manufactured some of their own products, like dyed hemp twine and some sundresses and things. And and then my children got a little older and and I was a single mother at the time. And so I then relocated to Seattle, Washington. Oh, wow. Yes, where the cost of living and the quality of life and the opportunities for me as a single mother, particularly somebody who was very skilled in legal support, could really make a life. So I began a dual career in complex civil litigation and compliance along with hemp throughout raising the kids and did that for 20 years in Washington. That 20 years in compliance and complex civil litigation with some of the really the finest attorneys uh, on the West Coast and some very high profile cases that I was lead paralegal to, everything leads us to where we find ourselves now, Dan. I know you can agree to that. (laughs) It always does. It always does. All of those experiences, they literally honed me and pressed the oil out of me and trained me and really made it so that I can do the jobs that I'm doing now. This leads us right into Hemp Ace International and all the other irons you have in the fire. Jump in. Let's talk about Hemp Ace International. Start there. 
He is great. So in 2014, I formed Hempbase International, which is an expert witness and legal support and consulting firm specific to hemp. I serve clients all over the globe. Um, a lot of my clients are attorneys because marijuana law or adult use and or medical cannabis law is fairly cut and dry because it's like it's either what's going on in this state. But hemp law and policy gets a bit more confusing because we have federal law. The feds just haven't even acknowledged, right, on many levels at all, medical or adult use cannabis. But they certainly have acknowledged hemp. So there's this constant interfolding of local, state, and federal. And so I service a lot of attorneys. However, I did a lot of hemp extract consulting. And now, as of January 1, I also have the role as, as the regulatory officer and industry liaison to Elixinol. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Elixinol is huge. It's huge. We're currently in 43 countries with, with hemp extract and arguably the fifth largest one in the world. Oh, and those guys are great guys. They've been exhibitors at our show every year. Super good people. That's a great so company. So wonderful. To be with. Yeah. No, congratulations. They're, they're just fantastic. Thank you so much. And between that and obviously the purity and potency and transparency of Elixinol and the standards that they uphold, they put so much money into the nonprofit arena and into lobbying efforts and advocacy efforts. That's a company that really puts its money where its mouth is. And that's what gave the opportunity for me to really get to know it mm -hmm. because we were just, we continue, but have been just doing some very important nonprofit work, not just on the state level, but at the federal level and global levels. They really engage in the process. I commend them for doing it though, because it's not as easy as, but they should do yeah. that. They need to give back. And that's, I'm not surprised at all that Elixinol is right at the front of that pack. They are right at the front of that pack. I have to also state, because it's so near and dear to my heart, because of the nutrient-dense hemp seed, it is the highest digestible form of protein on the planet between planet animal kingdoms. It, of course, is the perfect ratio of omegas, threes, and six, gluten-free, it's non-GMO, it's the superfood that really requires a super hemp and cake. And so I'm also very proud to be a co-founder and senior advisor to Colorado Hemp Works, okay. based in Longmont, Colorado, and that's our nation's first post-prohibition grain processing facility. We press hemp seed oil and whole hemp seeds and make whole protein powder, hemp protein powder. Whoa. So very proud of that. Mm -hmm. They're in Colorado, you said? Longmont, Colorado, Longmont. Colorado Hemp Works. But moving on to the nonprofit work, which is where my true joy, I mean, I love working in hemp. It's a dream come true to work in hemp. And of course, I still say to this day, but if I could just make a million dollars just educating on hemp, I would just tell the story of hemp all the time. It's really <laughs> my, my favorite thing to do. So the nonprofit world, that's where my love and my heart is. And I probably do about 30 hours a week pro bono for the Hemp Industries Association, which I am the president of. And the HIA was founded in 1994. So it's really our nation's premier trade association for hemp and really our nation's brain trust and access to the global expert community. We have sued the DEA four times since 2001. Okay. Yeah, we have won three and a half out of four times. So uh, again, not bad. A whole nother show there. 
and I also formed since moving back to New York, I formed the Washington State chapter when I lived there, and we have formed the New York State chapter, which I'm currently the president of as well. And we have a very robust, as you know, program for mm-hmm. hemp in New York State. I'm so, so thrilled to be here. I call it the Hempire State, although I always called it the Hempire State, and people <laughs> told me I was crazy. Well, who's crazy now? And then the other nonprofit that I work with is the U.S. Hemp Authority. And I'm very proud to be the president of the U.S. Hemp Authority, which is a newer organization that has created the first CGMP, which are current good manufacturing practices, and GAP, which are good agricultural practices, for hemp. And we we're certifying dietary supplements, food and cosmetics that are made with hemp right now. It's a very important piece of the industry because while we love and, and need to continue to preserve and protect cottage industry, we do have to understand that we're, especially when it comes to hemp extract or hemp derived CBD products um, and anything that is for human or, or animal consumption or to put on our bodies. How is the customer going to know when they go on the shelf with all of these products? How do I know? Well, we've got the U.S. Hemp Authority certified seal now, so they can at least understand this is safe, this is quality assured, and it also tells law enforcement this was sourced from legal hemp. Which is so important because a couple of missteps at this point could just set things back. We don't need that. So just to make sure that it's put that stamp of approval on there, It's necessary. Other industries are used to doing it, and we should just fall in line. I think that's great. Thanks for listening to today's show. And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday for part two of my interview with Joy Beckerman. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodConX. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.